I think that if you have any plans for improvement in your life at all, <laughs> sleep health really needs to be prioritized or, or at least part of that plan. Um, you know, sleep isn't just for rest and it doesn't just make us feel a little better. You know, it's not just something that prevents kids from having a meltdown. It, it affects all physiological processes down to the cellular level. So if you want to do something that is more active, you know, maybe, maybe it is something like, okay, if you're snoring, maybe you see a doctor about it, or maybe you talk to a sleep coach or you go to my Instagram and learn about it. Um, but if you have a goal, for example, to lose weight, good quality sleep can help that. And I'm not just trying to sell you on it. There are, there are studies that prove that good quality sleep helps you to lose more fat and gain more muscle. It helps you to rebuild muscle. Um, untreated sleep disorders are often related to obesity and that's not a coincidence. Hello, good day, greetings, wherever you are in the world. Thanks for joining True Hope Cast, which is the official podcast of True Hope Canada. Here at True Hope Canada, we are a mind and body based supplement company that is dedicated first and foremost to promoting brain and body health through non-invasive nutritional means. For more information about us, you can visit truehopecanada.com. Today, I welcome back to the show, board certified sleep educator, national speaker, and the founder of Sleep Better NYC, Teresa DeNike. Now, Teresa specializes in sleep apnea, sleep hygiene, and mindset for sleep and overall well-being. After 14 years in healthcare sales and consulting, Teresa witness countless family, friends, and patients struggle through the typical pathways for sleep support. Sleep Better NYC was founded as a solution towards that. Today, we're going to be talking about resetting your sleep for 2023. Enjoy the show. All right, Teresa, thank you. Welcome back to True Hope Cast. I hope you're doing well. What's going on? How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm really excited to chat with you again about all things sleep and anything else really <laughs> <laughs> yeah sleep is obviously a huge part of everybody's life you can't live without it there's no question about that and yeah we were just talking off air before i hit record here about um new year's resolutions and self-commitments and things like that and i think probably everybody could benefit from um giving a little bit more love to our sleep habits our sleep hygiene etc so we'll we'll get into that you know it's going to be a new year pretty soon here but just for people who don't know who you are, people who have not listened to that episode beforehand, can you just let us know who you are and what it is that you do, please? Sure. Yeah. So I'm Teresa. I am board certified in clinical sleep health, and I'm the founder of Sleep Better NYC. Uh, my team focuses on sleep coaching, which for us is kind of an all-encompassing term for educating and supporting people with their sleep health. So that could mean, you know, just sharing accurate information online, you know, via social media or podcasts, for example. Um, it means providing affordable online programs so that people can help themselves. Um, it also means specifically for us to help coordinate testing and treatment um, for people who have sleep disorders. And, you know, we know that everybody sleeps, but we don't all do it well. And a lot of us don't really know where to start. Maybe we're not getting the help we want from our healthcare system. So, that is, uh, that's what I do. And that's what we do at Sleep Better NYC. How did you get into doing that? That's a great question. Um, I have been in medical and dental sales and consulting since before I graduated college, actually. So about 15 years. So do math on that. Um, and I've been in sleep, the industry of sleep, if you will, for just the last maybe five or so years. 
But as soon as I started working with clinicians who were helping people with their sleep, I, I mean, something clicked automatically. I became completely obsessed. Uh, a few years ago, I got my own clinical credential and I have not stopped since. Again, it, I just felt like every time I started telling everybody like what I was doing in this new job I had a few years ago, it was like everybody wanted to talk about it. Everybody has a problem with sleep or their brother does or their husband does or their sister does. And it's just so common. And, and there's just so much crazy stuff out there. I was like, I have to help like kind of gather it all up for people and help them understand what's real and what's not and where to go for more support. So that's where I started. Cool. Um, you just touched on like sleep guidance. We obviously have like food guidance from the government and we have, we probably have, I don't know, like there's probably a page on the FDA or Health Canada or whatever it is about like advice on sleep, which would obviously be super broad because they're trying to <laughs> give advice to millions and millions of people. Right. And we're also yeah. an individual with different jobs and different responsibilities and different biology. So is there like, what's the, how, what's the guidelines like for that? Are they good? Are they bad? Like, what, what would you say? Um, you know what? They're not awful and they're definitely improving. Like you said, they do have to be, you know, sp purposely vague because everybody has different, you know, medical conditions and lifestyle and some people work nights. And so, you know, you don't necessarily want to say like you have to sleep between this time and that time, but for adults generally, you know, seven to nine hours is recommended and it is proven over and over again in the research. Um, we do have the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, the AASM. So, you know, they have some guidelines and also the, uh, I might mess up the, the association here, so don't kill me, but like the American Heart Association, I believe just updated their guidelines even to include sleep. So it used to be like the healthy seven things that you had to do, including nutrition and exercise. They included sleep as something you absolutely need to take care of for cardiovascular health. Awesome. And are there any like big sleep myths out there that we need to just like get clear on before we kind of go forward? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of sleep myths. I think specifically because I did just say that seven to nine hours thing, I will mention that eight hours is like always talked about. It is, it's not arbitrary, but it was really just picked because it's in between seven and nine. Personally, I get about seven, seven and a half hours of sleep. If you sleep more or less, you're probably fine. A lot of it is very subjective. Um, and as we age too, we do tend to need a little bit less sleep. Now, I'm not saying that we need four hours of sleep. It is incredibly unlikely that you are a person who can function optimally on four hours of sleep or even five hours of sleep. But um, about six, six and a half hours as you get older is, is also very normal. So I like to remind people of that because especially if you are someone who's starting to work on your sleep health, you don't want to sort of, you know, add pressure and get anxiety over, oh my God, I'm not getting that eight hours of sleep because, you know, maybe you don't need it. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty solid advice. I think, um, yeah, I'd love to talk about like the new year, new habits, commitments and all this. And, you know, most people will focus on like, you know, hitting the gym more, eating less kind of junky food, maybe cooking, cooking at home more, mm -hmm. but, sleeping more sleeping better isn't usually one of those commitments because obviously we like to do we like to commit to things that we can like actively go out 
often do like a behavior mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. obviously trying to sleep better is certainly a behavior but it's not like one of those active ones that you you would associate with like a new year's resolution for example mm-hmm. so how and why should we really be like um resetting poor sleep habits for the new year i mean the new year is just like a, a, a time stamp right but like, mm-hmm. why, why is it a good thing to start resetting poor poor sleep habits at any time Great question. You're right. It's like, we know it's all made up and it's just like a societal thing, but we still all do it. We're still reflecting now. We're still thinking about next year. So I think that if you have any plans for improvement in your life at all, (laughs) sleep health really needs to be prioritized or or at least part of that plan. Um, You know, sleep isn't just for rest and it doesn't just make us feel a little better. You know, it's not just something that prevents kids from having a meltdown. It it affects all physiological processes down to the cellular level. So if you want to do something that is more active, you know, maybe maybe it is something like, okay, if you're snoring, maybe you see a doctor about it, or maybe you talk to a sleep coach, or you go to my Instagram and learn about it. Um, but if you have a goal, for example, to lose weight, good quality sleep can help that. And I'm not just trying to sell you on it. There are there are studies that prove that good quality sleep helps you to lose more fat and gain more muscle. It helps you to rebuild muscle. Um, untreated sleep disorders are often related to obesity. And that's not a coincidence. Um, if you want, if one of your goals is like a promotion at work, or you're trying to land a really big deal, good quality sleep can help you do that because it can help you focus. It can actually helps the logical part of your brain have a little bit more control than the emotional part of your brain. So, you know, you really want all that working if you're trying to land that big deal, if you have a big meeting coming up. So it might feel like just, you know, something extra, you know, maybe you'll get around to it, maybe you'll focus on it. But, you know, if you tie it into your other goals, it does help you, I I think, <laughs> prioritize it a little bit more. Yeah, I think the the research is pretty set in regards to having having decent quality sleep on a regular basis is only going to improve health in so many different aspects right you know we've got Mm -hmm. associations talking about sleep we have um so many neurological conditions set with that set set talking about sleep as well so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's obviously such a huge topic and we can't you know we can go without air for you know like minutes we can go Mm -hmm. without water for a few days we can go without food for probably a few weeks but like sleep but i don't think that there's anybody that's been like awake for more than like a few days before they start hallucinating going delirious and you know all these things Mm -hmm. so it's quite simply a huge foundational thing that we all need but it's it's interesting that we our bodies can put up with like decades of like poor sleep habits poor nutrition Mm -hmm. habits poor hydration habits Mm -hmm. uh, or exercise regimes we can just like the body does amazing things to put up with like all of those lacks but it's a it's a fundamental necessary ingredient to like a good quality life right mm-hmm. yeah i mean i always say and obviously ask any parent they've gone days or weeks or months or years even being sleep deprived like the human body and the brain is so resilient and on one hand that's really great but on the other hand we we develop this very low bar and so often almost every person that i've coached live, I feel like we'll say, I don't, I didn't even realize how bad I was feeling until I started feeling better. Just like, you know, if you find out you have a food allergy, for example, and you've been eating this food your whole life, and then suddenly you, you cut it out, you start to realize that you had all these other symptoms and you didn't even know it was related. And the same goes for sleep. If you have been, 
not sleeping well, you've been snoring, you have an untreated disorder, and then suddenly you do start getting help. It's like you suddenly realize that maybe you're not so moody and maybe your stomach doesn't hurt all the time. Maybe, you, maybe you're not so forgetful. It was just that you were lacking the sleep you needed. Tell me about some of the parents you've worked with, because I've got two young kids and I kind of figured it out my own sleep thing, maybe a year and a half into being a dad. And mm -hmm. it's basically like, I have to just like sacrifice some of the stuff that I would used to do in the evenings. Like I can't go and train foot, tra train and play soccer three times a week in the evening. It's just not possible. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. And I can't stay up watching TV till 10, 11 o'clock at night. So I just have to just like, for me, it was just like sacrificing. Um, but I had to, had to figure that out. So like so, there's one day a week where I will probably need to go to bed at 7.30 with the kids, especially in the winter. Mm -hmm. Like, so I put, the, I put one of my kids to bed and I just go to bed. Like I just like need, need that. Mm -hmm. There's some, I mean, obviously each parents, each family is going to be different, but there are some like decent, like consistent recommendations that you would like make to most par new newish parents, I suppose. Yeah, you know what? I was just speaking with a new mom and a nutritionist a few weeks ago on Instagram Live, and she had sort of a twist on what's really common. And again, you're a parent, so maybe you also think this is bad advice, but I feel like so often people say sleep when the baby sleeps. But we also know that we have a million things going on. Like who really does that? It's just, again, adding more pressure. But what you just said actually reminded me of something that she said in that don't necessarily try to sleep like randomly throughout the day when your baby is napping, you know, for 15 minutes or an hour or whatever it is. But if you put the baby down or your kids down around 730, maybe you get a nap in there and that's, it is sort of close to bedtime. You know, we're, we're always kind of worried about, are you napping too late or too long? But again, if you're a, a, a parent and you're, you're really needing that extra sleep, I would recommend going to bed when your kid goes to bed even if you know you're going to be awake again later, if you wake up for, you know, around 9 p.m. for two hours or something, that could work out. That could be fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't want to speak too much on like mothers and like how you know, wild it is to give birth and then, you know, have this new baby and everything <laughs> all over the place. But like I, I in my in my experience of having having two two kids and being through two pregnancies and being through two births that, yeah, I think the sleeping when your baby sleeps is probably a good advice until you recover from the birth mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's such a energy draining experience even for me yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't even doing anything i was just trying to, <laughs> yeah, yeah i was present i was there i was in the room but um yeah like recovering from that certainly would make sense but yeah but you know you you've got this like new brand new being that's just like come into the world that's developing at such a, a wild rate you wouldn't necessarily want to have the same sleep pattern as that person. There's that little little kid for like a year or a couple mm -hmm. of years, right? And obviously checking in with your body and checking in with yourself um, and making sure that you're able to take care of like all those other things that are very important for your health as well would be, would be important. So, so that's really good advice. What about, um, what about the seasonal changes? Because I, I, I say this all the time to like some nutrition clients of mine that, um, if you're, you know, we're going to get more tired during the winter months, you know, like the sun's out mm -hmm. less, it's darker more. Um, we're not going to be making as much vitamin D. So we need to be like, you know, we need to be like in like literally a hibernation mode. And I assume yeah. you know, 100,000 years ago when we were living in caves and stuff that 
we wouldn't be, you know, trying to do the same things we do in the summer, right? which would be, you know, trying right. to gather food and hunt food and do all these things. We couldn't do that in the winter months, you know, it would be, it would be dangerous. So our biology isn't really any different to, to, to that of hunter gatherers. So do you have any decent recommendations for um, people transitioning into that? I mean, we're deep into it now, like we're in the mm. 15th right now, yeah, like this is like key hibernation stages, but like we have this culture of you know we work 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 we go 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 we don't really stop maybe for a few days over christmas but yeah like we shouldn't really be expecting to to have the same output as we would let's just say like mid-july that is such a good way of saying it and a good perspective you know it's one thing to just say okay well seasonal depression time is here or it's it's dark now but to actually give that different perspective and saying yeah, this exists, but we can also expect to feel different and to act different. Um, temperature and thermal regulation plays a huge role in sleep. So does light, as you just mentioned. You know, again, it's not a coincidence that we do feel sleepier just in general in the winter because melatonin, which helps tell our bodies that it's time for sleep, is produced with darkness. And so when we're waking up and it's still dark outside, Sometimes that can confuse our brains for lack of a better phrase. You know, our circadian rhythm feels like we need to be awake when it's light out and we need to be asleep when it's dark out. But again, you know, this modern world, we have the internet and we have lights and indoor and outdoor lights. So um, sometimes that can be confusing to us. And just knowing that can maybe give you a little bit of comfort in feeling like, okay, this is normal and it is seasonal and hopefully it improves. And then you can just sort of work around it. Um, light, for example, you can use light therapy. I, I love like these light glasses that they have out now. You know, you wear them for like 20 minutes. You can go on Amazon and get like a light box. They're probably pretty inexpensive, but especially if you are really dragging in the morning or you, you do have those seasonal depression bouts, sometimes as something as simple as light therapy can be really helpful. And and even though light disrupts melatonin production, it can help reset your circadian rhythm. So if you're doing that light in the morning, for example, it will help sort of reset everything in your brain so that by the time it is time for night and time for bed, your brain might be a little bit better adjusted to knowing that it's time for sleep. So is it important to get outside like every day and in the morning? What does the kind of research say behind, behind that? Because obviously with the colder, darker days, um in comparison to the middle of the summer like I'm mm -hmm. sure the amount of time we spend indoors is like you know it's like tenfold so is it important mm -hmm. to get outside and get exposed i know we're probably not making actually making vitamin d with, with the sunlight considering how low it's going to be but mm -hmm. obviously other benefits to you know, being out outside yeah definitely and there are even benefits to being outside on a cloudy day i mean you can tell it it's pretty gross and disgusting here i mean it's actually pretty dark now too but well, it's raining. Okay. So on a day that it's not actually raining, when it's just like cloudy and overcast, it, you can still get an unusually high level of light and even help that vitamin D production by going outside versus the inside light. Um, I forget what the number is. I want to say it's like a thousand times more, use it like 10 times more. Like it doesn't feel like that much, but again, it's natural. Mm -hmm. And we were thinking about what our bodies naturally want. So the natural light, especially early in the morning, even if it's on an overcast day, can be super helpful. So like if you can just open your window. Maybe you don't want to go outside. It's freezing. Open your window, step outside on your balcony for 15 minutes. It can make a huge, huge impact on 
the way you feel awake and alert, it helps with your serotonin production, that helps with your mood, but also eventually helps with your melatonin production at night. So yeah, that that natural light in any way can be super helpful during the day. Yeah, so we're trying to assist our body's own production, regulation, mm -hmm. of those necessary um, neurotransmitters and hormones that are going to support right. us getting prepared to sleep and also preparing to wake up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I think the seasonal affective disorder thing is interesting. I honestly think that that's a normal thing that we're supposed to experience. We are supposed to have le less energy. We're supposed mm -hmm. to feel more tired. We, not, not, I don't want to say depressed, but like we're not supposed to be out doing the same things mm -hmm. we do in the summer, right? So it's like, okay, the body's saying, listen, okay, we've just been hammering it for six, seven months been putting you on high alert you've been going 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 that's all cool because i've got the sunlight to help me out and like mm -hmm. I can do all that with the with everything but like now it's the winter time this is when you know i want to be a little bit more like a, a sleepy bear i just want to like hibernation mode i want to hibernate i want to mm -hmm. stews and broth really easy to digest foods and i don't want to have to like go 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 constantly all the time right so i i think for a lot of, a lot of people not everybody because there's obviously serious disorders out there but like, i think mm -hmm. i think see uh, some some level of seasonal affective disorder for, for everybody is very very normal but we you know we equate that we, we equate feeling off as something wrong as something mm -hmm. bad that we have to like take something for or diagnose right. or label um but yeah it's just the winter time man we're all supposed to just chill out a little bit more and 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 just i don't know yeah yeah, maybe our bodies are telling us to slow down and we're we're just fighting it. Maybe we should stop fighting it. <laughs> I think less resistance is probably a good thing. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, I have a question about temperature when sleeping. I mm -hmm. um I don't like being cold anyway, but I do like cold bars and cold showers and stuff. I think I just more like the personal egotistical male challenge of it all, but yeah, I probably. That, <laughs> probably. Yeah. I don't, I know the health benefits to it as well. So I, mm -hmm. that, that's cool. But, um, I remember listening to the dark horse podcast with Brett Weinstein and he, he has on his like sponsorships. He has like this, uh, like a cooling blanket where mm. you can adjust the temperatures and mm -hmm. I know that that guy doesn't commit to an ad or a product without knowing everything about it. But I don't know too much about like what like the science is back there. So can you talk to us a little bit about um, temperature and sleep? Sure. Yeah. So our body temperature and the temperature in our brain needs to drop just slightly to fall asleep and stay asleep. Now, our body's going to do that on our own, but you can certainly help to optimize it. You know, if you think about someone who is a quote unquote hot sleeper, or maybe you wake up sweating in the middle of the night or in the morning, I mean, that's pretty common, but that's not because your temperature is raised. You know, if you took a thermometer in the middle of the night when you were sweating, you wouldn't have a fever, but you feel hot because your body is giving off heat and it's just being held in by your clothes or your, your blankets. So something like a, uh, I, I'm going to assume it's a chili pad or something like that, a cooling mattress cover can actually really help. And, and I agree, you know, there are so many products and so much junk out there on the market, especially when it comes to sleep. But something like that can be really helpful because it just helps our body to feel more comfortable. Um, you know, it's not going to instantly drop your, your core body temperature. It can help you maintain that lower temperature. It can help you maintain the comfort you need to stay asleep. And there are some studies that are showing just 
more continuity of sleep and even deeper sleep when you do have that uh, maintained lower body temperature. Now, again, it's not like your, your body temperature is dropping to like 80 degrees or anything like that, but it can drop 0.2 degrees, 0.4 degrees. And so a little bit of cooling can actually make a massive difference because you just need that little tiny bit of change in temperature. I'm going to have to highlight this little section for my wife who loves the heating on when we sleep. And I, <laughs> I don't because I just get so hot. And it's also like yeah. we live in like this semi-desert here and it gets super dry as well. So mm. wake up with a dry mouth and dry, dry, dry yeah, mouth. Yeah, you know, you could save a little bit money. Save a little bit of money. You can sleep a little better if you don't turn your heat on as high at night. Um, it's, it's kind of ironic actually, because he is known to comfort people. You know, we want to be like wrapped up in a cozy little blanket. We want to put like the thick, warm socks on. And so we do see studies where you can actually see the reaction in our brains that are stimulating, um, you know, relaxation and less anxiety and, um, you know, the drive for sleep. But when we go to sleep, we we should maybe take a few of those layers off. We want to help our bodies to actually drop the temperature. Yeah, I think it's quite abnormal for the human body to be like um, well-fed and warm, like all the time. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that's a very abnormal state for yeah. our like more ancient biology. That's um, true. So yeah, it's, it's interesting that the, 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 the body and brain temperature would need to drop in order to like, do the things it needs to be to keep uh to keep us asleep and make us fall asleep kind of properly that's interesting i'm going to put this to a self-test on the weekend <laughs> just going to sneak out and turn the heating off and see what happens there you go yeah i'm not going to propose it because i'll lose that battle anyway um <laughs> i have another question for you this is awesome we're just bouncing around here um I hope. i've got a couple of uh so my my brother-in-laws mm -hmm. they are 15 and 17 they go to the gym all the time they are super stacked up um they've got that human growth hormone thing going for them they're also, <laughs> they're also in the gym. also in the gym seven days a week but i also like um try to talk to them about how like you don't really grow muscles in the gym you kind of you grow it when you're asleep right and like, that's not really clicked for them yet um do you think you can talk to us about the importance of sleep not only for um, healthy body building muscle, but also for like teenagers who are going through like a wild hormonal biological phase anyway. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I'm sure this goes without saying, but there's so much happening in the teenage body and the teenage brain. It's exhausting and they might not realize it. they're living it. it. You know, it's exhausting for their parents too, I'm sure, but it takes a lot of work for this these hormones to be pumping through their body all the time. They're growing, they're learning, they're so active. And if, if you think about doing some of the things a teenager does, like at an older age, you're like, oh my God, I could never, because it is exhausting. They just mm -hmm. happen to be younger and able to keep up with it more. And, but you know, if we're talking about the gym, for example, human growth hormone, hormone excuse me, is released during deep sleep. Of, of course, it's, you know, release that during wake and sleep and other times too, but it's, it's really pumped out during deep sleep and you need to be in a good quality, deep sleep to get this human growth hormone, which helps us to build and repair muscles. It helps our bones and other tissues and immune system. And it's not that you won't have it if you don't get good sleep, but if you're really trying to build up those teenage muscles, you need to be getting good sleep and you need to have consistent, deep quality sleep you know, on a, on a pretty regular basis. Um, 
And again, just all the all the growth that's happening in your body needs time to rest and repair. You can't just keep going and going and going, um, even if you feel like you're not tired. Sleep is, again, it's something that everybody does. It is a biological need. And, and if it wasn't a need, then you know, God or a higher power or mother nature, whoever really messed up because we do a lot of sleeping. And so to think of it as just like, you know, an afterthought or not really that important is very counterproductive because we have to do it and we do it all the time. So there has to be an important need for it, including resting and recovery and growth and building your muscles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, I think the sleep, I think the, the sleep thing with like with our Western culture is quite interesting because we obviously have had you know, we've got light all of the time accessible and especially like, you know, you live in New York City. Like when was the last time you saw the starry sky? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, not not often. Not often. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's interesting. I I think that the um like looking up at the imagine our ancestors like pre electricity before that, like you no, know, even mm -hmm. just a few thousand years ago, so they would look up at the sky and they would see this unbelievable, breathtaking cosmos that would mm -hmm. just inspire creativity it would create stories in regards to like the the star signs and the gods and all those types of beautiful things and you would be in a sense of awe every single night and it would be just a beautiful wonderful thing to be a part of and mm -hmm. i think we've lost a lot of connection with with nature when it comes to when it comes to when it comes to that um, especially like living in cities and having like the like the light kind of drowning out that night sky even on even on a clear evening and mm -hmm. yeah it's just an interesting interesting in our culture we've kind of lost this relationship with the darkness you know the darkness is like you know it's it's the it's the yin it's the calm it's the quiet it's the cool it's the it's something that's obviously a part of our existence as a part of our balance and mm -hmm. we well, a lot of people are like scared of, that we talk about being scared of the dark and you no know, that's, that's that's yeah it's just interesting that we have this that we have this kind of disassociation with um with nighttime with the darkness with the stars with the cosmos mm -hmm. with nature which is such a valuable lesson and a teacher and it's, it's a very humbling teacher right for such a, a natural thing i think that happens over and over again every single day every single night and yeah we do have this unusual discomfort with it like again fighting fighting it but you know resistance is futile <laughs> well, said. well said. <laughs> i want to talk about helpful substances to sleep there's obviously a, a whole billion dollar market out there in regards mm. to um different products but obviously we've got like we've got chinese medicine we've got different herbs we've got teas you know we've even got um you know cannabis and all these types of things that can help support people who struggle to sleep um what have you seen work for people because obviously everyone's different Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I could probably talk for like an hour on this, but I'll just get it out of the way first. Alcohol is absolutely the most overused and also the most counterproductive sleep aid in the world. Um, it is a sedative, but it absolutely wrecks the quality of your sleep. So we can talk about that more later if you want. Cannabis is definitely being used more and more, both CBD and indica strands. Although as far as what I can tell, the indica strands has definitely more promising uh, results as far as helping with sleep and insomnia and potentially other sleep disorders as well. Although, as we probably all know, the, the research is a little newer because of all the regulations. Um, you know, teas, supplements, prescription pills, unfortunately, are all very common. Um, 
I'm, I believe that as far as the more natural aids like teas and supplements, they tend to work because they induce a sense of calm and relaxation. You know, there's things like ashwagandha or magnesium in inositol. Am I saying that right? Inositol. That valerian root, these things do have a lot of anecdotal proof, but also some research behind them. And they can absolutely help you relax, which then can help you sleep. So it's not like these things are like knocking you out, but they can help you get into a better mindset for sleep. I do, I do believe in that. And especially when you pair these things with a routine. So, you know, you don't just drink your chamomile tea and hop in bed and instantly fall asleep. Maybe you take some time to wind down and you're drinking your tea and then you do, you know, a five minute routine or a, I don't know, two minutes of breath work. So when you pair one of these supplements or these teas or what have you with, with your routine, I think it can have really, really great benefits to your sleep. Yeah. I love the routine aspect of that because yeah, I think it's so important and so valuable that we have like transitions within our day, like from waking mm -hmm. up to going to work you know like that shouldn't be this like horrible rushed mixed process where we're like eating breakfast on the subway or in the <laughs> car on the way like it's so it's such a bad habit to have and the same should be said for sleep you know like there should be a clear time frame that's probably at least 30 minutes long where you are you know preparing mm -hmm. preparing your psycho psychological self your physiological self for sleep whether that's with yeah going to make it going to make some tea having a bath reading a book you know doing everything mm -hmm. literally slowing your body down particularly your brain waves going from this like high beta phase to you know it's like a delta data phase where you you know you're certainly slowing down your brain waves a little bit so your body's recognizing that oh okay there's some external output this is a message that's telling me that okay we're going to need prepare for sleep now okay guys let's start right. making the melatonin let's start making all these things and preparing us to to, to get down for the day rather than like yeah, like watching TV until like midnight, having like four or five drinks and then mm -hmm. collapsing asleep like that. You might fall asleep really well, but like it's like you're, you're more like collapsing, collapsing asleep rather right. than falling asleep. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's just I love the idea of using yeah, stuff like inositol and other herbs and supplements that uh, have much more of like a subtle well-rounded effect rather than like a sleeping pill or something that's just like mm -hmm. super harsh super direct like trying to use a grenade to yeah. you know do something that's that needs to be more subtle yeah and i mean sleeping pills absolutely have their place i was listening to a podcast with dr chris winter um a neurologist a sleep physician who has decades of experience with patients on sleeping pills. And he makes some really good points. The first being that, you know, why do you want to be on a sleeping pill? I'm not saying that they're all bad or that people don't need it. But if you think about why, why you want to be on a sleeping pill, first of all, they're only meant to be prescribed for temporary use. So if you, if you are having a really bad bout of insomnia, or maybe you're, you're grieving and you're just, your mind is racing, or, you know, maybe you had, unfortunately, something really bad happened in your life and you're just struggling with sleep. Of course, we can understand why you might want a prescription to help you and, and those are there to help you. But there are very few, if any, studies that prove that people feel better the day after. So what are you really gaining or giving up? So if you're not more productive, if you're not happier, if you're not feeling well rested, but you got that sleep that you, you felt like you really needed, you know, how how important are those sleeping pills? Or maybe you only need to be on them for a few weeks or, 
again, talk to your doctor about it, but they are so strong and they're just knocking us out. They're not getting us into a natural sleep. So we really need to think about that when we are taking and asking for these prescription pills, which are given out so easily here. Yeah, that's a huge point. Thanks. Thanks for bringing that to our attention that, you know, every, you know, a lot of medications have their place. And, you know, for a lot of people who are obviously suffering, it could be in the, the absolute relief that they need. Mm -hmm. um, but are we going to the extent like as a physician, are we telling individuals that this is certainly not a long term solution to sleep? You know, this is a this is this is like, a you know, maybe for a few days or a week, just to make sure that you're giving your body the necessary sleep it needs to be able to do its like foundational repair and restoration. Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's a huge point. So thank you for thank you for saying that. Um, tell me about alcohol then. Why is it so bad? Oh, it's awful. <laughs> well, okay. I think that we probably all or a lot of people have had alcohol and you feel more relaxed and maybe you have drank too much and you pass out. So that would make us think that alcohol helps with sleep. I mean, it, it seems very obvious that we that it would help with sleep, right? You're literally falling asleep because you drank too much. But the problem is what it does in our brain. And that is counterproductive for sleep. It, it messes with our sleep architecture, which is basically the different stages of your brain. So what alcohol will do, if you're only drinking every now and then, alcohol might actually and don't harp on this too much, but might actually help with some deep sleep. But that's like literally the only good benefit and it is fleeting. After that, it will reduce your REM sleep. And what happens when you reduce your REM sleep is that you feel like garbage the next day, not to mention the hangover, but you, if you're not getting REM sleep, you're not getting emotional processing, you're not getting memory consolidation and, and moving things from short-term memory to long-term memory. And you will wake up a lot more frequently. Maybe you're not even getting into that deep sleep anymore. Your brain gets very confused as it's processing the alcohol. And once that alcohol wears off, we then tend to see this rebound effect. So usually very early in the morning, or if you are lucky enough to get a nap after a night of drinking, you'll have these really crazy dreams. And so again, people might think that signifies you're getting great sleep. But it's really your body saying, oh, my God, we got such awful sleep before. Let's rush and get into this REM sleep now and try to make up for it. But you can't really make up for it. Your body is trying. Your brain is incredible. It is trying. But it's it's just really confused when you drink that alcohol and it processes. You know, not to mention it's diuretic. So you might be using the bathroom more often. Um, and again, you know, the hangover in and of itself is probably uncomfortable. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not a good sleep aid. Again, why are you using it would really be the question that you need to think about. If you if you love it, if you want to drink wine every night, I'm not going to tell you not to, but maybe you have it earlier in the day. Maybe you have it with dinner and you only have one glass. I would absolutely never recommend a nightcap or drinking right before bed because you think it's going to help you sleep because the answer is it's not. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever known anyone that would that has like struggled to sleep and then they would have a drink to help them do it. It's obviously a thing that happens, but I, I just don't know of anybody who would do that. I just know people who just like end of the day, kids are asleep, you've had your dinner, let's have some drinks, you know, like mm -hmm. that's more of a 
I don't want to say that's a, a, a better habit, but it's, you know, obviously alcohol just wreaks havoc on every, every part of the body and, you know, getting into a consistent habit of having a few drinks every night is just, it's just that's not healthy at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no application for that. And um, I always, always found it interesting when I, when I studied Chinese medicine that the mm-hmm. like three to four o'clock, three to five o'clock in the morning was like the liver's time to shine and then to do its thing. And most people who had a bit, bit of a drinking issue on the weekends or even throughout the week would wake up during that time when the liver is like having to work extra, extra hard, having to go through its like three stage detoxification process to kind of like get rid of that alcohol and get it out of the body. And yeah, like having to pee more and having more breaks in the sleep cycle is just like, Mm -hmm. it's just going to wreak havoc. And I don't know how much of a hangover is just poor sleep and sleep deprivation and like you're probably going to bed late anyway so it just mm-hmm. all, like, all totally adds up and yeah yeah it's a wild thing i don't drink in the winter because i don't have any real craving for like a like a drink in the winter time like i don't like putting cold stuff in my you know in like mm-hmm. my body it's cold i don't have that craving luckily because i have a lot of people that have no problem with that yeah but, uh, which is fine, but you know, I, I like having a, you know, like a, a, a cider after a soccer game in the, in the summer, you know, like that's, that's much more appealing to me. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, I feel I'm quite lucky with that, but yeah, a lot of people like it's, um, it kind of blows my mind that alcohol is so freely accepted in our society when we know, mm-hmm. we know it is as like probably is worse than smoking and even smoking still like, yeah. it's questionable that smoking should still be legal. I know, I know. I saw a list of who knows how many, I'll just say 30, um, 30 substances and how bad they are for you, basically. And alcohol was at the top. And I feel like cannabis wasn't even till like the second page. Mushrooms was like the very last thing on the list. And it's like we kind of all know this, yeah. but because it's very accepted in our society, we just kind of like forget about it. But it's, yeah, that's pretty bad. It's no, it's really bad. And yeah, it's obviously been decades and decades and there's lobbying and tax stuff that goes into it. it's big money. Some of the biggest corporate companies in the world, obviously alcohol companies, mm-hmm. tobacco companies. And um, even with the outstanding evidence and everyone knows that drinking is not very good for you, but we don't really talk about the, like the addictive qualities of something like that, the habitual um, things that go on with that as well. And, you know, it ends up being a crux for a lot of people and the fact mm-hmm. that you could in most countries get alcohol 24 seven you can even just like go onto like doordash or skip the dishes and get alcohol sent with you yeah pizza these days like mm-hmm. that's too easy like that's too easy to just slip into a bad habit and be a big crux on the health system like i don't know i'm just not too sure we should be in mm-hmm. that type of a dire state in 2022 but again that's a separate podcast Teresa, for right, exactly i mean i did see something even where they had um patients who did drink regularly and they felt like they were drinking to help them sleep. And so then they would wake up the next day and, and over time as they got, uh, they built that tolerance to the alcohol. I, I, I believe those people had, you know, an issue with alcohol, although I I don't remember exactly what's happening in the study, but they were building a tolerance to the alcohol. So slowly they would feel less hungover, but they would still be so incredibly sleepy. And later in the day, they would feel pretty bad. And so, they would then think, oh, I guess I have to drink more alcohol to sleep better and to counteract this. And it 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 seemed just so crazy to me, but it's not because they don't they don't know. Nobody told them how 
not to do that. Or maybe someone told them, but they didn't understand, or maybe they don't care. You know, maybe they do have that addiction, but it is interesting what people really do, especially, and again, if you're not getting good sleep, maybe your, your uh, logical part of your brain isn't that active. I don't know, but it, yeah, it's funny. Those people actually chose to drink more because they were feeling bad, but they were probably feeling bad because their sleep was bad. Yeah, it's a, it's a vicious circle. And obviously there's so much that goes into a healthy body and looking at health span and lifespan and mm -hmm. you know, sleep is just one huge, huge aspect of that. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a holistic wheel. That's for sure. Um, I want to, oh, I've got so many questions for you, but I want to <laughs> ask you about, um, like sleep disruption, cell phones, because I think I don't know, nine times out of, nine out of 10 people probably have their phone within a meter of their precious brains, precious body, which, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we are le electromagnetic beings and any type of electric tool signal is going to af affect that for sure. Is there, what's the, what's the research on, on like EMFs and, and sleep? You know, I have been looking into this a lot more lately, especially because a lot of us have those sleep trackers. Um, I do work on the clinical side in monitoring patients who are being treated for sleep apnea. And a lot of these things have Bluetooth built into them. So as you know, our devices emit electrical fields, you know, especially when we're using Bluetooth and even when they're turned off, it seems. Now, when we look at EEG or, or brainwaves in a sleep study, they don't seem to really be affected that much, or at least not significantly by the EMFs. So that's good news. Um, but <laughs> strong and extended exposure to EMF has been shown to disrupt neuroendocrine processes. So brain and hormones. Um, I've seen some research that shows that the effects of EMF are more harmful when we're sleeping than when we're awake. Um, this is possibly due to, you know, the complex cascade of physiological events that are going on in our brains while we're sleeping. Um, we're not really protected from the outside world. And we're also re releasing that melatonin in the dark when we're sleeping. And a melatonin is a hormone, which I just mentioned is, is one of the things that might be disrupted by these EMFs. So this might affect sleep. It might affect immune function, cell repair. Um, I mean, I'm not an expert in EMFs and I didn't participate in any of the research I just mentioned, but I know there is a ton of information out there. A lot of it is very unsubstantiated, but that's not to say it's not true. I, I just feel like there needs to be more research. Um, personally, to what you just said, I don't sleep with my phone by my bed. I mean, I do it for a few other reasons too, but I, I am aware of it. So I won't sleep with my phone by my bed. I don't typically recommend like those uh, Bluetooth like headbands that you sleep with, unless somebody's asking for one, then I'll, I'll tell them one that I like, but I, I do try to avoid it. I feel like it can't hurt to avoid it as much as possible. Although I think it really has to do with the strength and the, how long you're exposed to it. I would avoid it if you could. <laughs> yeah. Obviously you've got the aspect of like being exposed to that light. You've got the distance you know strain on your eyes for example and just, mm -hmm. the, just the habit of like you know maybe looking at your phone for an hour before right and, and like the first thing you do when you wake up you know we're talking about transitions you know it's probably not the best thing is to just flick your phone on and check your social media right away like it's probably not the best thing for your mental health mm -hmm. um, and yeah i go back to the, i go back to the whole caveman thing it's just like um 
we, I'm sure a huge part of our biological process for going to sleep is, 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 uh, connected to darkness, quiet, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sensory deprivation, literally sensory deprivation. And then also just like the, yeah, like, I mean, we wouldn't have had like electronics around us, but obviously the earth is an electromagnetic field as well. So mm -hmm. we obviously we're not completely foreign to those type of things, but it's just like how much and how frequently. So I think as, as much quiet as po literal quiet, whether that's like actually like from hearing and actually like the, the energetic quiet, mm -hmm. the better we're going to be when we sleep, I think. Yeah. And, you know, like you're saying about things being natural, we, we have, complicated so many things in our life and a lot of times for the better you know of course i'm i mean i'm on electronics right now i have my phone like four feet away from me i know that we need it and it really improves our lives but when it comes to something as simple as sleep we are looking for all these gadgets and all these things and all these trackers and maybe we just need to simplify it a little bit maybe we just need to put them away from our bed for a little while um and you know along with all the habits that we do or don't do in the bedroom as well which can help you sleep so I don't know exactly how much EMFs are bad for your sleep. I know that your brain waves seem to be in good shape, but it is like that hormone disruption that I that I do worry about. So if you can avoid it, I I would. <laughs> so if everyone's putting their phone away on the bedside, there's no there's no phones on the bedside table anymore after our discussion. So what's mm -hmm. an ideal bedside table situation? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, if you read, I would definitely put a book by your bedside table, maybe a few, because if you are someone who gets up in the middle of the night and maybe has trouble falling asleep, maybe you want to read something, but particularly maybe something that you've already read. So it's not as exciting or stimulating to you. Um, I really love smart alarm clocks. Some of those do have Bluetooth, so try not to put them directly by your bed, but, um, to help you wake up in a more natural way, like. I, I like to recommend the lofty or it's very similar to the hatch where it will wake you up with uh, different sounds or tones. The lofty, for example, actually wakes me up once very quietly. And I, I honestly don't even notice sometimes. And then it will wake me up a few minutes later. So I feel like I just naturally woke up versus like a blaring alarm clock or like my phone alarm clock, which I feel like people get like really traumatized by. Like every time I hear the sound, I'm like cringing. So things like that, you know, a noise machine, maybe a sleep mask if it's not very dark in your room, simple things that are not simulating electronics, not your phone, not your iPad, things like that. Beautiful. Great recommendations. Teresa, you're awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to the show again. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like we covered so many things. I hope I didn't talk your ear off too much, but I, I love chatting about sleep and health and all that good stuff. Yeah, it's so, so important to talk about. And it's just it's, it's just a good reminder for people. People just like with their, their own busy lives, we just forget about these things. Like something that we just like all do every night on a, on a consistent basis. Sometimes we just doesn't get the attention it deserves because we just yeah. always, always do it, right? It's just something that we'll always do. And um, obviously having the quality is very, very important as well. And yeah, it's just important that we have these conversations. Just remind everyone a little bit, like, you know, like if, you, if you're feeling a little bit, that little bit extra tired, a little bit extra um, fatigued, then, you know, maybe we should just like have a, have a really good week's sleep, focus on that. And I'm sure you're going to feel a lot better for it. Absolutely. I agree. Great. We're in agreement. That's wonderful. Well, thank you again for coming onto the show, Teresa. How can people get hold of you? Um, primarily, I do a ton of posting on Instagram. I 
have some help, but I do read all the DMs and the comments. My Instagram is at sleepbetternyc, no dots or spaces. Um, if you have any questions or you want to see the kind of products we offer or the programs you can do to just help yourself or if you are a patient with a sleep disorder, all of that information can be found on our website, which is sleepbetter.nyc. So it's not .com, it's .nyc. All right. That's awesome. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Well, that is it for this episode of True Hope Podcast, the official podcast of True Hope Canada. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. You can leave us a review if you feel like doing that. But that's it. We'll see you soon.